Good to see you. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Joel, and we have teaching from the Bible at Emmanuel Sunday by Sunday. Uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon, probably the world's most famous sermon. And we're in chapter 7 uh, of Matthew's Gospel to do that. So if you, if you have your Bible with you, perhaps you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read in just a moment, or it will be read to us from the, the video, verses 7 to uh, 11, in fact, verse 6 to 11 uh, is the plan today, verses 6 to 11 of Matthew 7. Um, this is um, uh, the, the part of Jesus' teaching where he's getting towards the close of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is extremely valuable, insightful, kind of, you could say, almost like secret Stuff. I want you to imagine if you were given the opportunity to go and hear from one of your, your heroes, maybe in whatever field of work you're involved with, or, or maybe an interest of yours, you have a particular person, a man or a woman, who you especially look up to, you especially admire from a distance, you know, you've, you've got all their books or you follow all their podcasts or their, 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 their YouTube video channel or there's, there's something about them, whether, whether it's someone in business or someone in the arts, maybe a musician, a performer of some kind that you, you just, you want to emulate, you're inspired by their example and you hear about uh, a particular setting where this person is going to Share some secrets, how to do life, how they do life, how, how they manage to be successful. And uh, you get the chance to go, just a small little group are going to gather to hear the real inside track. I suppose many of us, we would be prepared to, to pay money for that. We might be prepared to travel quite a distance if it was the particular person we, we especially admired. And I want you to kind of see this chunk of Jesus' teaching as rather like that. Jesus is giving us the inside scoop. He's saying, okay, I'm telling you the real, the real secrets now. This is treasure. This is precious stuff. I want to help you to, to live the way I live. I want you to know, know my, my power, my strength, as it were, so that it can be something you share in. This is Jesus saying this. The whole Sermon on the Mount is, is like that. You know, it started off on that tone. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. The word blessed being a religious sounding word, but these days we would perhaps use a word like flourishing, thriving, succeeding. Happy. That would be a fairly good translation of what he's saying. This is, this is how to do well. As the whole Sermon on the Mount has been like that, but as he's kind of beginning to land now, it's kind of it's getting to the real nub. And so that's, that's, that's kind of what's going on. And there's a verse that, that uh, occurred to me a bit as I was getting ready with this message during the week, it's, it's right back buried in, in, in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, where God is talking to his people, Israel, 
And he's describing how he rescued them. And he says this to them, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. He's describing the way that he uh, saves and helps and kind of parents his people. And, and the image is of a, a, a huge bird that lives in the mountain, a huge majestic eagle that's, that's right up high. And you maybe have seen that, you know, the David Attenborough programs or such like where, where a, a bird is eager to get its young to fly. It's time for the young to, to take to the air. And we'll talk a bit about this again before we finish. But one of the things that will happen is sometimes a bird will literally just kind of brood, hover, will just sort of take to the air in front of the young, as if to say, look, this is, this is how I do it. This is what I do. Watch. I want you to get this into your sights. I want you to see how I'm handling the sky. And Jesus, in a way, does that for his people. He does that for his disciples. He does that for us in this sermon. He's, he's saying, look at how I soar. Look at how I handle altitude. Look at how I handle the pressure of flight. Look at it. Watch. Learn from me. This is the way he teaches us. He teaches us by modeling it. He shows us how to live. And then he gives a secret saying, this is how I do it. Let me, let me tell you how I do what you've seen me do. So it's very precious teaching we have here. So let's, let's have it from the video. These verses uh, seven, oh, sorry, 6 to 11 uh, from chapter 7 in Matthew. Today's reading is taken from Matthew 7, verses 6 to 11. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's just pray now. Father, we are completely depending on you now. So we ask you to kindly send your spirit to lead us into truth, to speak words of life that bring change to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives, for your glory, for our joy. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. First thing that we probably need to just clarify up front is that peculiar verse that uh, we did actually read last week, but I didn't really deal with it, where Jesus seems to give some advice on what to do with uh, your grandmother's jewelry. Uh, Do not give... Pearls, don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. Don't give dogs what is holy. And uh, that's, that's definitely one of the more peculiar verses in Jesus' collection of peculiar verses. Um, it's, it's, it's been subject to a few uh, interesting interpretations over the years. People have tried to work out, what does he mean? What does he mean to say? I think it's fairly reasonable 
to go with the idea that Jesus is, is saying what not to do if you are following Jesus, what not to do about those who are not following Jesus. And what, what, what's not to do is to waste your time getting into uh, mud fights, if you like. Sometimes you'll, you'll get into a dialogue with someone who's not following Jesus and you want to share, hopefully, Jesus with them. You want them to know about Jesus, so you'll share the message, you'll share the life, you'll share the story of Jesus, what he's done in your life, what he's done for them. And hopefully you'll get a hearing. Hopefully they'll listen. Hopefully they'll ask questions that are worth asking and you can have a good conversation and maybe you will help them make progress in their journey from knowing this much about Jesus to knowing a bit more about him. And that's always good. But there are those situations where a person isn't actually just a little ignorant about Jesus, but they are forcefully rejecting him wholeheartedly. They are absolutely uninterested in following him. And we need to learn to be discerning about those situations because what we can end up doing is getting into quite time-wasting efforts that can even create more tension, more pressure, more hostility towards the Christian message than the person initially had. That's how it can feel. And so we just need to be smart about some situations. That, to me, sounds like a fairly good interpretation of what verse 6 is saying. It's reasonable, partly because it fits in with other things Jesus did say. So later on in Matthew 10, you get Jesus telling his disciples about what to do when the whole town rejects the message of Jesus. He says, okay, move on to the next town. Okay, so Jesus is very happy with advising common sense. If people are not receiving the message, don't try and force the situation. Move on to people who are ready. There will always be someone who is more open to the gospel than others. In your classroom, in your lecture hall, in your, in your office, in the common room, in the refectory, in the coffee house, in your family... There's always someone who's more open than the others. And Jesus says, find that person. Find the person who's more responsive. And don't waste too much time on those who are actually probably going to waste your time. This is definitely an issue on the internet, for sure. It's, a, it's an issue in ordinary conversation. I think it kind of gets multiplied by infinity when people go online. Because if you've ever scrolled to the bottom of a comments page on any kind of Christian video or any kind of Christian blog... You will find some Christians who haven't read Matthew 7, verse 6, who are doing their best by earnest debate, sometimes I'm sure very well-meaning, to win people over. But it descends often into a kind of, you know, it looks like the bottom of the monkey cage, basically. It's kind of, it's not a healthy atmosphere. It's just, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And you think, yeah, that's not the kind of standard of discussion that uh, I, I think the Bible encourages us to, to operate with. So... I think that's a fairly good application of the verse, but, but I'm actually going to suggest to you an alternative, even though I think that's good teaching. I think there's another way of seeing this verse that helps actually to see how it could fit into the flow of the whole sermon. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not just a kind of cluster of, of randomly selected kind of spiritual bric-a-brac. It's not just kind of 
fortune cookie stuff that Jesus is saying one minute, you know, don't, don't give your grandma's necklace to a pig and don't try and build a house on a sandpit. And it's all kind of, uh, yeah, all right. You know, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you, don't, if you don't look for a thread going through it, it can feel rather kind of arbitrary. And I don't think it's meant to be. I do think there's power in the unity of the sermon. If you start to see the whole point Jesus is making through the whole sermon, it's potent. And I want us to do that today, to get to the secrets of who he's claiming to be and what he's claiming to say to us. So let me just give you this alternative way of seeing verse 6, which I think is, again, fits in with what the Bible teaches. It's, it helps. I've been helped by one or two other teachers and, 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 and scholars, but one particular thing to bear in mind is for the people Jesus is speaking to, the story of Israel is big in their minds, especially the story of Israel's relationship with other powers, nations, imperial forces that surround them and have surrounded them for generations. And often in their, in their Old Testament narratives, these other nations are referred to as like beasts, literally, animals. Pigs and dogs would be appropriate. Unclean Gentile animals. These are, these are kind of ravenous beasts that have teared into, torn into, God's nation of Israel. And, and there have been times in the even recent past of this nation of Israel, who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, where the ruling powers, in order to try and feel safer and more stable, would have even traded in some of the great valuable belongings, the spiritual currency, if you like, of the nation. Some of the, the, literally the objects, the sacred objects of the temple would have been traded in with some of the bullying nations in order to try and secure a few more years' peace at the hands of these ravenous imperial powers. So they made deals, sometimes tried to make deals with the Assyrians and uh, with the Arameans and the, with uh, the Babylonians, just in an effort to kind of just to secure a little bit more peace and respite from the inevitable attacks that will come on us as a nation. And they would even trade in the, the, the gold of the temple. And so when Jesus says to people like this, don't, don't throw pearls before swine, before pigs and dogs, I think for many the resonance would have been quite strong. We mustn't try and build our security around acceptance with those people that don't love God. We mustn't try so hard to be acceptable, to be pleasing, to fit in with the, the surrounding pagan world that we actually trade in on the things that are very special to God's people, that we negotiate, that we compromise on the things that, that make us the holy people of God. And I think that, that makes so much sense to what this verse is about, partly because, and this is where you need to just zone in on this, okay, tune in. The, the sermon as a whole seems to have this kind of feel about it. Jesus, from the beginning, if you, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of this sermon, what's he start doing? He starts kicking away their confidence, our confidence, in any power that we might have in our relationships with other people. He says, happy, flourishing, thriving, blessed are the poor in spirit, are the mourners, are the meek, the meek, 
the, the meek, the, the, the ones who don't look to try and climb over the heads of others in the kind of Darwinian struggle for success in this world, the ones who aren't, who aren't really bothered about getting to the top of the tree. Jesus says, yeah, blessed are those. You're not that blessed if you're just desperately trying to defeat everybody else in your relationships and in the world around you. That's, that's not the way to be truly blessed and flourish and be happy. You think it is. You think that's what matters. But even that assumption is false. That Jesus knocks away at our sort of self-confidence, our aggressive desire to use and control people. He turns it on to how we conduct ourselves sexually. So he gets into this whole thing about lust and, and, then, and marriage and divorce. And really, it's like he's saying, I don't want you to use this whole area of sexuality as a way to just self-gratify and use other people, whether it's through internet porn or, or relationships that you know, you know are not healthy or, or just or whatever, just, just promiscuity and unfaithfulness. Any of that, even if it's just in here, let alone out there. Just unfaithfulness in the mind. He says, you're using sexual gratification as a way to feel strong, to feel comfortable, uh, to feel secure. And it doesn't work. It's not the way to flourish. I'm telling you, don't go there, Jesus says. And then he, he moves on further. He says, don't even go for revenge. Before the end of chapter 5, he's, he's nailing the issue of revenge and our attitude to our enemies. Don't seek out retaliation, not just with your fists, but with your mind again. If you're angry in your heart towards people, friends, please don't, don't go there, he's saying. He's saying, listen, disciples, I want you to not try and build security out of seeking revenge at all. So Jesus just keeps knocking away at the chair legs, if you like, or perhaps rather like an eagle, pulling the twigs and the branches out of the nest of our security. I'm not having you, my disciples, basing your security your safety, your comfort in this world, your sense of blessed, blessedness. I'm not having you build that around these false securities, these false hopes, these, these false providers of comfort. They will not work. And so we read, we read through Matthew 5 and we feel like, yeah, I, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to do what Jesus says. I'm going to live the righteous life. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be a very virtuous person. I'm going to be a righteous person. Then you get into chapter 6 and Jesus says, don't you dare think that you're a righteous person. Because it starts to be about virtue signaling. He's, he's talking all the way through chapter 6 about, okay, I want you to exercise kindness. I want you to give to the needy. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. But here's the thing. I want you to do it secret. I don't want it to be about impressing I don't want any of your righteousness to be for the sake of building up your kind of righteousness portfolio in the eyes of people. Don't go there. Don't go there. So don't seek fulfillment in all these things in chapter 5, but don't even seek it in being righteous. So there's another chair leg, or there's another twig or branch from the eagle's nest. It's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you taking away everything that makes me feel like I've arrived? Well, at least he hasn't taken money away. At least I can build my security around money. At least I can feel safe because I'm financially flush. And then he says at the end of chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He turns his attention to that other piece of security that we falsely uh, construct underneath ourselves to feel safe up here on the mountain's ledge. At least I've got money. Jesus says, uh -uh, no, you haven't. Give that away. 
No, you haven't. Don't live for money. Don't, don't lay up treasure like that. That won't give you the kind of security you like. That's not, that's not the way to flourish. That's not the way I'm calling you to live. And don't be anxious about it even. Don't even worry about it. Don't go there. So we might even secure ourselves in that. We might think, yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll be generous as well. I'm, I'm totting up the score. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff secretly. I'm, I'm giving away. I'm praying. I'm doing well. Now we get into chapter 7, and it's like, yeah, I feel like I, I'm doing quite well, righteous-wise, and I feel like I'm a lot more righteous than everybody else. In chapter 7, do not judge other people. Don't you do that. It's like Jesus is just, just taking us apart. He's just deconstructing every possible means of personal security and comfort and gratification. He's saying, these are not your options. It's like you're going through a corridor and every door and every doorway that looks like, oh, that looks nice, oh, that looks nice. And he's closing the door saying, no, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. What, what is wrong with you? This is how I find fun. That's how I, I, I like it when people think I'm really righteous or really cool. I like it when people like me. I like it when I get to use people. I, I like this is how I find security and satisfaction. Jesus says, no, just don't go there. And then, verse 6, he's saying, and it seems to me, he perhaps is saying, don't look for security by being accepted by the world, by the secular. Don't. Don't try and fit in like that. Is there anything left, Mr. Jesus? Is there any way I can still flourish in this life? If it's not all those things, what is it? And then we have verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Is that it? That's, that's what I paid all this money and flew this plane to get. This is the TED Talk. This is the inside track, is it? That's it. That's your brilliant advice, sage. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He really is giving us the inside track here, friends. This is it. This is how to live. This is how to live. The door is swinging open. And all those other doors he closed off, all those other things, those relationships, those financial solutions, those career prospects, those personal vindications, Ever other door we've longed to peek round and he's closed off is for the sake of this one wonderful door that he opens up before us and says, Come in. I want you to learn to live the way I live. This is how to do it. I'm telling you, as the eternal Son of God, I know my Father. I know him. I know him. 
you, you've got to get to know him like I do. I promise you, when you get to know him like I do, those other doors, they won't matter to you. You'll find, you'll find, you're quite pleased I closed them. This is what he's saying to us. When Jesus came into the world as the one who's, as, as John chapter 1 puts it, been in the bosom of the Father. That's the, 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 the translation, that the old-fashioned old translation. It, but it's very moving. It's very meaningful. In the deep ownership of the Father, Jesus forever and ever utterly secure in the Father and therefore utterly secure, full stop. Because that's the way to be utterly secure. If the Father is who he seems to be, Jesus comes into the world wondering, why, why is it that every one of the sons and daughters of Adam is so anxious? Why are you so afraid? Why do you live your lives so worried? Why? Why? Don't you know my father? Jesus, Jesus is, is taking all of our full securities out. He's deconstructing in order to reconstruct us by showing us the other way. He pulls apart the nest, just like the Deuteronomy eagle, stirring up the nest, literally breaking it up. What on earth? Why would the eagle break the nest up? Because the eagle wants its young to soar. You're born to fly. Jesus soars through the pages of the Gospels right in front of our eyes. Look at the way I live. Look at the way I handle pressure. Look at the way I handle enemies. Look at the way I handle disappointment. Look at the way I handle temptation. Look at the way I handle poverty. Look at, it. Look at the way I handle it joyfully. Look at the way that I can say, I've come that you might have life and life in its fullness. My joy I give to you. Jesus is so different than what we might expect. And he says, I want, I want you to have what I've got. I want to share with you what I have. And what he has is his father. You know, Matthew's gospel is fascinating in so many ways. Matthew's gospel talks about Jesus' father all the time. In Matthew's gospel, the father is mentioned 44 times. In Luke's gospel, he's mentioned 18 times. In Mark's gospel, he's mentioned four times. So Matthew's definitely got a thing about the father being our father. And in John's gospel, the father's mentioned 120 times. But every time it's Jesus saying, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. He just keeps talking like that, my father. Until the very last time, the very last time the father's mentioned in John's gospel is at the resurrection, the empty tomb where Mary's in the garden and Jesus says, my father and your father. It's beautiful. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of the other way around. The father gets mentioned 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's the other way around. He mentions the Father as our Father all the way through. 
Your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven. Pray like this. Our Father. It's all our. The Father we share. The Father that's our Father. Until the very last mention of the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, My Father. Chapter 7, verse 21. It's funny. It's like the John's Gospel, Matthew, they're both doing the same point, but from different, they're coming at it from different ends. They're making the same point, and the point is this. Jesus came into the world to share with us his Father. He came to share his Father with you. He did. And when Simon just led us in worship and said, Jesus came and said, the bread I give to you is, is real bread, that I've come to feed you and, and, to, and to, to, to satisfy your thirst. It's, it's, it's through Jesus we get to know his Father. It's through Je- We get to know this God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus came to share with us this life, this eternal life in God that satisfies, that feeds and sustains us like nothing else can. So that all the doors that are closed become less and less relevant because we found, we found this treasure that Jesus has come to introduce us to. What he's saying to us is, I want you to learn to live in the Father as I have. I want you to abide in me, as we've been singing this morning, as I abide in you, as I abide in Jesus. I abide in the one who is in the bosom of the Father. I couldn't be safer, more secure, I couldn't have greater promises over my life. I am, I am so blessed in him. And so he, he makes it very practical. Because you, by now you're thinking, well, I thought there was going to be some practical things in this sermon. You're saying he's got secrets. How to do stuff. How to live. Three easy steps. Three easy steps to success. What are they? Don't say just, you know, abide in the Father. That just sounds religious. What does that mean? Okay, let's make it practical. Three easy steps. Here they are. Ready? Ask, seek, knock. There you go. Three easy steps. Ask, seek, knock. He's, he's really saying, he really is saying that. Friends, there's, there's, there's nothing better than that to offer you today. This is it. Well, I, I, I get it. So we're supposed to ask. We, what does that mean? Well, it, means, it means pray to the Father. It means ask him for stuff. It means live like a child completely dependent on your dad. That's how to live. And if you've got some children, you might know a little bit about how that, that, what that looks like. Children understand this instinctively from the beginning. Parents enjoy the relationship from a different angle. I, I love spending time with my kids. I've, I've noticed from the very beginning, when my children were very small... I would be downstairs at the start of the day and I might have spent some time praying and worshipping in the Word and I'd be refreshed and ready to enjoy relationships with my family. One of my kids wanders downstairs and it's like, let's have some special time together, just me and you. And the first thing, if you're a parent, you'll know what I mean, that they're going to say, I might expect them to say, Dad, can we just have some quality time together? <clears throat> what they say is, can I have... Can I have? Can I have? Can I have? But as a dad, you're not particularly offended. You kind of just think, yeah. Yeah. Generally, yeah. That's, that's, that's the way the relationship works. It's dependence. It's asking. It's asking. It's asking. It's asking. Now, there are some times when they say, can I have? And the answer is no. <laughs> because it's like, no, it's, you're going to school, not Legoland today. That's, that's, and that wouldn't be good for you. 
Okay, I'd love to take you to Legoland, but that's not good for you. Because there is a bigger yes in my heart than the little yes that you want right now. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When God says no to you, it's not because he likes saying no. It's because he's a good father and he's got a big yes in his heart. And so he gives little no's because of his bigger yes. No, you can't stop at this shop for Haribo's. We're going to miss the plane to the biggest and best holiday you've ever been to. We have better things for your life planned. He has better things than every single time we, we, we get exactly what we selfishly desire. But nevertheless, we learn that in the process. We keep saying to him, can I have? Can I have? He's fine with that. Ask, ask, ask. And some of you are still thinking, yeah, but that's not practical help. This isn't much of a TED talk. I'm waiting for the practical insight. How do I deal with the difficulties and the pain? I've got real struggles, real sorrows. And maybe you've even asked God for help with them. Maybe you've got real issues that you've brought to God and said, I'm asking you to change this. And so far, he hasn't. What then? Okay, let's move to stage two. Seek. Seek. There you go, seek. So you say, I've prayed about it and nothing happened. I prayed, it didn't work. Okay, that's pretty normal, I have to say. That's, you're not rare, right? That's been my experience too. And everyone else's. You ask, you don't always get. You don't always get, not straight away. That's why there's a progression. Ask. He could have just said ask. He didn't. He said ask, seek. It's slightly more intense. If my, if my mum or dad is in the room, I can ask them. If they're not in the room, I have to go find them. I have to walk out the room. I have to hunt them down. You ever hunted God down? You ever sought him? You ever said, God, you didn't give me what I asked for, and, and that isn't good enough. I expect more from you because you're a good father. And this is too painful. I can't do life like this. You closed down so many doors in my life. All the things I thought I would find satisfaction and gratification in. These are the things I needed for security and hope. And you've closed them all down. Why would you do that to me? And I've asked you and you've not helped me. That's good. That's a good way to do it. Go to him. Seek him. Seek him. He wants you to seek him. He doesn't want you to quit. Jesus was so clear on this. Importunity in prayer. He doesn't get offended by it. You think you're being rude? You're not. You're not being rude enough, frankly. Press in. Ask again. Complain to him. If it hurts, tell him. There's nowhere else to go. The doors are all closed. What else would you do? Only a Westerner would think, yeah, that's not a very practical sermon. I'll go somewhere else. Only affluent, overindulged, self-satisfied Westerners would think like that. Nearly anywhere else I go in the world, they get this sermon. They get it. Because they understand that we are utterly dependent on God. We've got so many other means of security and safety buttressing up our fake lives that we've never tasted the desperation that forces us to seek him. Have you ever sought God? Have you ever sought him? Jesus wants you to seek him. Read, that's the book. He's constantly saying that. 
This king failed because why? He didn't seek the Lord. He was very successful, very impressive, very strong, but he didn't seek the Lord. You ever sought God? Do you know what it even looks like? I tell you, friends, Jesus isn't offering, there's not, it's not like, oh, for, other, for the less spiritual people, here's Sermon B. This is the way to live. Because he's good, he's a good father. If he doesn't seem good right now, press in. Press in and find him. You'll find he's good. You'll find he is. And if you, you I've sought him. Oh, are you trust me, Mr. Virgo, I've sought him. Try knocking. What does that mean? Well, he told stories, didn't he, about the people that didn't get what they wanted at first, so they knocked on the door all night. Knocked on the door. Unjust judge. Nasty man. Doesn't give a poor widow justice. Doesn't sound much like God. Jesus is saying, sometimes God feels like that. Isn't Jesus honest? Amazing. You can say at one point, he's that. He's such a good father. He gives to his kids whatever they ask. That's what Jesus talks like. The same Jesus says, sometimes God feels like an unjust judge. Which one's true, Jesus? Both are true. He is a good father. Sometimes it feels like he isn't. Sometimes it feels like he isn't. What do you do? You stay up all night banging on his door. That's what you do about that. You press through. You fight through. You don't yield to despair in prayer. Jesus said men are always to pray and not give up. I hope you're hearing me. I'm telling you this because this is the consistent calling on us from scripture we mustn't give up I find this in my own life the things that I've had to battle through things that I've given up on and I've stopped praying for and God didn't tell me to stop praying areas where I've struggled and felt vulnerable felt like a, I can't win this battle I remember bringing my, something to my dad once and saying I, I can't win in this area I can't win and he said you've got to pray and I felt almost like cross with him. I thought, if you think I haven't prayed? Of course I've prayed. And his answer was still the same. You've got to pray. There's such a thing as progression. Ask, seek, knock. Press through. Friends, please. This is the answer that many of you are avoiding. Because you're thinking, I'll find it in this door. I'll find it in this door. You won't really. You might find some respite, but it will be a bit, it, will, it won't be what you really need. What you need is the Lord. You need Him. You need to press through. You need to trust Him. Believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. He does. He does. We must believe it. So Jesus is calling us away from, from a prayer life which is basically, you may have heard this expression before, Corrie Ten Boom used it. Where our prayer life is our spare wheel. Jesus says, though prayer is not your spare wheel, prayer is your steering wheel. Prayer is where you live. Prayer is where you stick, where you stay. It's how you, how you guide the whole car. Stay there, stay there. Abide, abide, abide. Learn to abide. There are answers there. We, we know this to be true as we keep going. We learn it from experience. Sometimes it's hard to believe. I wonder how Jesus felt when he was saying this. I wonder how Jesus felt as he was saying to these disciples, your father, if you ask him for a fish, he won't give you a snake. 
ask him for bread. He won't give you rocks. I wonder if he was thinking for himself about what was to come in his case. Because there came a time for him where he said, Father, if, if there's any other way, if you could take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. Jesus didn't get his prayer answered. Jesus, Jesus went through the most lonely, <clears throat> the most full of torment, agony, of separation, abandonment from God. He could tell us more than we think we know about that. And he still says to us, he's a good father. He's a good father. And in fact, he was doing it so that he could share his father with you. So that ultimately you never have to have the father say, no, ultimately the great no that Jesus received in the garden when God the father said to him, no, go through the cross was so that you and me could have the confidence that ultimately there is a yes in the heart of God towards us. There is a grand yes. There is, as Simon said earlier, a throne of grace. A throne of grace wide open to you. And that's for everyone, every person. Please hear me. Some of you today, you don't know God. You don't have a relationship with God yet. You don't know him. And one of the reasons you don't is because you have no idea how welcoming he would be to you. And so you hold back, you hold back, assuming there isn't a place, there isn't a home for you in his presence. That he has, he has crossed heaven to earth. He's come to you. He doesn't say, here's the bar, clear it to get to me. He says, no, I will descend to hell for you. I'll suffer on the cross. I'll go down into death so that you don't have to be separated from my father. This is what Jesus has done for you. If you've, if you've never become a Christian, I pray that you will today. I pray that you'll put your faith in Jesus today and become one of his followers and one of God's children belonging to the Father through Jesus, the Son. Let's pray right now. Father, we, we ask you for the desperation of eagle chicks that know that there's there's no future in their full securities. God, bring us to our senses. Teach us to depend upon you and abide in you. Teach us to suspect falsehoods for what they are. To distrust them. To distrust anything that... that Smacks of unbelief. Help us to believe you. Help us, God, please. Soften us. Keep us tender. Keep us hoping. Keep us pressing in in prayer. Help us to complain. Help us to be importunate. Help us to be like that Syrophoenician woman that argued with Jesus. Argued until she got what she asked for. Help us to wrestle like Jacob. Help us to, to come back to you three times like Paul with his thorn. Pour out our complaints like the psalmist. To bring our sorrow to you like Job. All because we know that there was someone who 
in the most lonely place, poured his heart out for us. And he's never going to stop doing it. Never going to stop pouring out his heart for us every day. Lord, we trust you. You are a good God. Though we sometimes find in our hearts we, we're tempted to believe otherwise. We come back to our good Father. We choose to trust you. We choose to call on you and seek you and knock at your door.